This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Cassandra Austin, welcome back to Better Reading. Thank you. I'm delighted to be back. Yeah. Um, now, we've got you back for, for a reason. Um, I'll tell everybody that we met recently, you and I, at, in LA, which is where you live, and yeah. I was travelling. Actually, we've done, do you know, we've done that almost every time I've been to LA. Yeah. It's yeah. it's just a lovely thing, isn't it? It feels yeah. special. Yeah, really special. Um, and I remember when I first um, saw you in LA, your home, we did a Facebook Live back then because we didn't have podcasts. <laughs> and that was your first book, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, that's right. And that was, gosh, that was 2017. That seems like a long time ago yeah. now. Look at everything you've done. Look at everything I've done. And the mm. world's a different place. Completely. Um, Cassandra is um, a homesick Australian who lives in LA, as we said. Um, she's there with her husband and children. Uh, she's the author of two um, books. Um, she worked as a criminologist and a documentary filmmaker before deciding to pursue a career in writing. Now, that's what we're going to talk about, how difficult that career in writing is. Because very recently, when was Mother released? Because we recorded a podcast around then, didn't we? You did. We we recorded it in July in 2021. It came out in April 2021, so a year and a half ago. Yeah, right, okay. So you've written two books. What was the first book? So three, actually. Seeing oh, three? George, yeah, Seeing George and then All Fall Down and then Like Mother. Okay, so yeah. we must have met for All Fall Down. Yes, that's right. The first okay. one was 2004, so it was a long yeah. time yeah. Okay. All right. And then when we met very recently, only a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about the challenges of writing and whether you wanted to pursue writing or pursue some kind of other creativity, um, and that is being a potter. Right? <laughs> yeah, and you. I found that conversation <laughs> very, very interesting. So that's why we're here recording a podcast. So do you want to start talking to me about that? Uh Look, I think that I was always a little bit interested in the side on ceramics and I think like most people, if you have one work life, you have your hobbies and maybe that's making some sourdough, maybe that's gardening, maybe it's fiddling around with a motorbike, you know, it's anything. And then over the pandemic, what happened was I was exposed to much more time um, in relation to my little hobby and it sort of took over for me uh, it it's such a wordless it's wordless and for me that became enchanting having been a writer now since the early let's see like 15 years I guess mm. it is now maybe getting close to 20 years mm. first first tell me how you came tell me how you came to writing and then I want to know when 
the hobby started to become more than a hobby. Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. So I came to writing. I I moved across to this country to to LA. And at the time, we were waiting for a visa for me. I wasn't legally able to work here. And my husband said to me, you've always wanted to write. Here you are. Here's your opportunity. And so I started writing and completely fell in love with it and became obsessed and just thought I was the luckiest woman on the planet to be able to do this. I really, really loved it. Um, And then, you know, like anything else, I suppose, once it becomes a job, once it loses that status of being something that you dream about and something that you're waking to get up to do every morning and it becomes something you have to do and it becomes something that you're doing for money, then your relationship with it changes. You know, some of the magic and some of the pure joy leaves it and that's necessary. You become a professional. That's that's all that is. But, of course, then it means then I pick up something else to give me that sort of irreverent joy, and and it was pottery. Um, I started putting my hands into mud, something that was not rearranging words on a page, not trying to capture uh, psychological states, not trying to, if I can paint a picture for you in your mind, on the space of a room or on what someone's wearing or on their attitude, you know, just with some gestures that I'm putting on the page. So when I, when I was free from that with pottery, putting my hands, and of course I made so many mistakes, you know, I'd throw these pots and they'd fall off the wheel or they'd blow up in the kiln or they would, you know, but that became enchanting to me. That became what magic is this? What, you know, and now of course I'm two or three years down the track with pottery, and it's starting to become more of a job for me, I guess, in a way. My proficiency means that I'm starting to want it to earn some money for me and to try and be professional doing it. So it's it's been very interesting watching that. I want to go back. So some people listening, right, are aspiring writers. Right. And some people would say, well, you were lucky to get published because that's not an easy path for a lot of people. I agree. Uh, yeah, and you get published and that takes the magic out of it for you? Is that, um, is no, that what I'm it's hearing? it's taken three books to take the magic out for me and I'm not sure the magic's not gone because I will say just before I saw you in Los Angeles, I, I had a dream where a short story came to me and I had to get up and write it down and I just started redrafting the first draft I've got of the next novel that I've written. So it hasn't gone, but I think that, you know, it's like the first blush of a romance. You're infatuated with someone. You want to see them all the time. Their opinions are always new to you. You're delighted with them. And then the reality of them being human or writing being a profession sets in and it's hard work and you're forcing yourself to sit down at the table and you're forcing yourself to to stay in the headspace and give it the the time and the attention that it needs it's no longer a romance and it's and it's work so i think that it's true that i feel always very blessed to be able to write and i do feel lucky to have been published i think luck plays an enormous role in this industry i think that you need to get out and meet people and put yourself in the spaces where luck becomes opportunity but I, I don't kid myself that luck plays a role in, in publishing or in anything else that we do, really. Do you want to talk about um, m- the making a living side of it? Because we touched on that when we were together in LA. 
Um, and tell me how that has influenced some of your decisions. Because it's the reality of it, right? It's I mean, absolutely. You know. I mean, this is a profession. It's not, I'm not doing this as an amateur. I'm doing it now as a professional. I mean, I, I mean, that's one of the lovely things, isn't it? The meaning of amateur is to do something for love. So you're not looking to have an economic return. Once you are professional, that's all about earning um, in relation to whatever it is you're doing. So once I became professional, then yes, I have to start looking at the earnings connected with writing. And I'm a writer who's been very lucky throughout the three of my books to have decent advances. Um, but when I have to look at that advance lasting over how many years it takes me to write a book, three or four years, then suddenly it's a lot less money and it's not it's not a great contribution to my household. So that that turns writing then not into a luxury, but in a way into a luxury, really. And that was a trade-off that my husband and I made when the children were younger, because that means I'm available when they're ill, I'm available, you know, when, when they have holidays. My work was always going to be sacrificed. That was the price that I paid, but also the gift that I was given. As they've gotten older and, you know, times have changed, things are more expensive now, we all know it, we're all in a pandemic and, and with inflation the way it is, those same decisions don't really work in the same way. So I had to be a little bit more demanding of either the writing or of myself in relation to earning an income. And I think a lot of people write part-time and have to manage their love for writing that way. I think that's, you know, that's mostly what happened. So when I found that my hobby was able to earn me money and actually earn me money, better money probably and more quickly, it was just logical that I was going to be turning more towards that. Um, and, and I love it as well. So that that mm. certainly helps. But then, it, yeah, it's a it's a balancing act. But I think that what will happen, well, I hope what happens is that I end up with, um, what do they call that? They call that companion planting or a sister garden mm. Mm. where you have the corn and the beans going together. I hope I can manage that. I hope mm. that I can have writing and pottery going alongside and that I can use one to support the other with incredible communities but also just such a different way of seeing the world mm. you know I'm not trying to psychologize with pottery but I am trying to give you an aesthetic or give you a feel of glaze or or make you feel something and that's what I'm trying to do with writing as well make you feel something push you a certain way open your mind in a certain way so I think there's the the language I think they can speak to each other those mm. arts the all arts can Mm. I think I, I definitely think I agree with you there and there's something in that. Another conversation that we had, you and I, about the pottery was and your love of it and your beautiful pieces that I saw, <laughs> saw in your home and Thank the one you. that I brought back with me, which I adore. <laughs> um, we talked about the uniqueness of making each piece, right, and then we talked about, remember that, and then we talked yeah. about if then you had to start making it to order, which that change the experience because that would be maybe more of a production line talk to me about that so there are two things in what you mentioned the first one is that one of the gifts of writing a book is that as its author I never actually give it away 
think it's completed until a reader has the book and they have their own experience with it. But I don't have to give the book away when I give it to you. I get a copy, you get a copy. Mm. With the pottery that I do and the pieces that I make, they're very individual. And once I give them away, they're gone. I don't get to have them anymore. So there's a real sorrow connected with that. But I prefer that to the second point that you were making, which is if I tried to sit down and make the same pieces over and over again, I can't do that anyway. That's not in my nature. I don't have that gift. And it is a real skill that I don't have. But I also don't have any inclination to do that. I'd rather actually have a piece of the sorrow and give the individual piece to someone. Um, one of the, the things that's loveliest about pottery is most of what I've sold, I've sold in person. And mm. I can see someone responding to it. And I can talk to them about the process of making it and what I was thinking. And that interaction has been fantastic. So with with writing, I can come on, I can do a podcast with you. I just the other week had an email, lovely email from a reader from New Zealand. There are ways that readers can reach me and that I can feel like I'm connected with the community, but I've never been as connected with people consuming my art as I am with pottery directly asking me about it. Um, Charlotte Wood, the lovely um, Australian fiction writer. Oh, I think she might have written some nonfiction as well. But anyway, beautiful writer and just a beautiful speaker as well. She said to me on this podcast once, and I think I've mentioned it before, but she said for her, once her book is published, it doesn't belong to her anymore. It belongs to the reader. That's true. Right. It's and that's true. the same with art, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, like it you is. think of painters and potters and. Once that piece leaves. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And she's right in that I, and I know that anyone who reads my books has their own interpretation of that story and what, what's going on in it and who they relate to the best in the characters and all of that sort of thing. And I'm not in control of any of that. And it always delights me to hear those stories when people say, well, my favourite character was this or I, I really didn't like that. I didn't understand why they did that. I liked, you know, this instead that's, you know, that does happen and it's out of your hands. But at the same time, I still have my version of it and I get to keep it. <laughs> and mm. I can't do that with pottery. I have no. to give it away. It's gone. Mm. The pottery is actually gone. Mm. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. Do you feel that you're drawn more to one or the other and that oh, at the moment Cheryl. that you're compromising? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's like asking me about children. Who's your favourite <laughs> Um. I, I, that compromise is a really interesting word, isn't it? And I think that we often assume that if we have to choose that, that you know, one comes off worse and one comes off a bit better off. But if you think about it in terms of friends or you think about it in terms of children or anything else, that's not what happens. What happens is your heart gets bigger. Mm-hmm. Don't You're not really try, choosing between one or the other, I don't think. So... I think there are definitely times when one doing one or the other is easier for me and I can just fall into that rather than be disciplined and think, well, I really need to go back to drafting this now. Instead, I'm just going to run and throw a couple of pots because that's a much quicker sense of gratification. I can do that much more quickly. But then I'll be sitting at the wheel and I'll be yearning for the feeling that I get when I can make a sentence sing. That's a completely different feeling than throwing a pot. So 
you know, you know, and and all the listeners know out there that I'm not a writer, um, but I am an ideas person, you know, um, as you know, and that's how this business came about. And but I can't if I'm in it. I can't see what I'm doing. So I have to pull out, right? And yes. I have to go over, right? Yeah. And for me, that's usually swimming. Oh, right. Mm. Okay. So I have to be doing some other kind okay. of. Okay. Okay. Yes. So switching between I... these two modes absolutely allows me to do that, to sit at the wheel is quite meditative and you can be Mm. thinking whatever you like I can be listening to podcasts Mm. or I can be ruminating on a plot problem or on a character Mm. and because your hands are so engaged yes you're free your mind is free absolutely that's that's true it's a little trickier when it happens the other way because I just want to go and do it (laughs) if I'm sitting at the computer and something comes to me about pottery then I just want to close the computer and go yeah well that was my next question right the discipline now kicks in right of how much do you apply to one or the other or yeah because you know there's there's often that rope you know, that romantic notion of writers, you know, they write when, you know, writing comes to them. When and, no, no, yeah, of course. no you can't afford to do it. It's a no, job. It's a job. It's, a job. And it's, it's still, yes, we wrap it. Of course, we wrap it in this gauze of romanticism because that helps you get through it. It's an incredibly, I've got a, a, a neighbour of mine who's been an actor for many years, a terrific actor, and she's just decided to sit down and write. And she will. She'll do it. She was a journalist before, so she she will definitely do it. But she was talking to me about how she can't believe that she has to clean the house first or that she has to read everything she's done before she can write the new paragraph today. And I just laughed with her and I said, of course, whatever the tricks are that you have to do to get yourself seated at that page, that's what you're doing. I used to have to say to myself, you're not writing today. It's fine. You're just writing one sentence, one sentence. And after you've written that sentence, you're off, you're done. I'm ha- I'm happy, said the little critic inside myself. And, of course, once you write one sentence, you write two. And once you write two, the third one comes along. So, but it is some, for some whatever reason, you have to trick yourself into it, I think. Um, mm. It's a also- funny thing. I am. Um, I used to offer, and I've heard so many. I mean, I've had so many conversations with different people, and not just writers, with artists and all sorts of people. Um, and people say that you know, um, just get a part-time job, right? Get a part-time job and then write at night, or get a part-time job and write in the morning. But it's not as, as simple as that, is it? Because you know, well, it's not as. Uh, look, if you're a full-time carer for children, mm. and you're maintaining a house, I mean, I. I know that we like to think women can have it all and, you know, the pill and feminism have given us everything. It's a hard slog. (laughs) It's not easy. So, yes, you can get up early in the morning and you can do your two hours if you can possibly do that um, and then turn to the other things you might want to do, like a part-time job. But don't kid yourself about how much longer it will take then to do everything and be be fine with that rather than punishing of yourself because it's not it's a job it's not easy it's not mm. an easy thing whether you take mm. something else part time or not mm. i think when we spoke um you were saying that once you started the ceramics um that it was going to be all that it was going to be it you'd given up on writing that was the end of it never to be seen again am i going to sit in front of <laughs> 
in front of a blank page and write a book. And by the time I got there to see you, of course, you pulled out your computer and you said <laughs> writing yeah. something. Tell me about that. Was that like a tug and pull with yourself? Tell me about that I transitional think so. time. I think it was and I think it was also just, uh, you know, there's some relief about thinking, well, I don't have to go back to that now. I've chosen this other path. It's okay. And let's look at my history I was a criminologist for 10 years, then I worked in film, then novels, now I'm doing ceramics as well. Clearly, after about 10 years or so, I have a desire to do something else as well. But underneath all of that, I will say I've always wanted to write. I wanted to write ever since I was a child and got lost in books. And you said to me at the kitchen table, have you really, though, have you really left that behind? And and I don't think I have. I don't. I don't actually think I can. I don't know that it's actually much of a choice. I think I'll. I will keep writing, but the nature of it, how it will look, will be different. Why? Well, because I have another mistress now, <laughs> a mistress who a competing also, mistress. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> and who gives me rewards on a much quicker time frame. So I will write, I can write a draft of a novel fairly quickly, but the redraft, the second draft, the third draft, they take me a lot longer. So we're still talking two to three years between book turnaround times. Now I can throw a pot on the wheel in a day. I can get it back from the kiln in three days and have it, you know, I can have a fully functioning pot in in two weeks that's and then I can look at it and say well I don't like this so I'll change it and throw another one so that's a very different art form that's a really different pleasure but I think that what potting has taught me is that I also like a long-term cycle I also like delayed gratification I also like getting into the weeds with writing and really spending a long time on something so I suppose that the two work together because they really feed both sides, that instant dopamine hit and the longer-term gratification of sticking with something and really wrestling it to the ground. But also I think that, you know, um, that one feeds off the other in a way. Like when you are making um, a ceramic pot um, and your mind is, you know, wandering or not whatever you call that <laughs> position of you know not you know I, I feel that when I'm swimming that I'm not thinking of anything but you actually are you know yes. and yes. does that then feed your writing yes it does I I definitely think when I was swimming I used to swim as well and I found it very meditative but I found it very meditative because it put me in a certain state mm-hmm. that allowed me to very calmly look at things that if I wasn't in such a a whole body meditative state may have panicked me or may have frustrated me or maybe I just would have chewed them over without getting anywhere. Mm. And so pottery does offer me that. It it definitely slows everything down for me and it allows me to do what you were saying, pull back a bit, have a look at the whole picture Mm. if you possibly can. Yes, it, it even though it seems to be the instant gratification churning it actually slows everything down. Mm. 
We've talked about um, a sense of belonging over the times that we've known each other. We didn't talk about it at our last meeting, but I I went away thinking about it because remember when I asked your lovely husband, Adam, if he liked Australia, and <laughs> I thought he gave me a roundabout answer. And so I thought... <laughs> I pondered on that when I was on the plane coming back to San Francisco and I thought I didn't ask you how you were feeling about that because you have a strong sense of place with your writing. Talk to me about that and belonging. I do. I think that's part of what drove a lot of my writing for a lot of the time was I was bringing Australia to me with the the scent of eucalypts or the, the sound of children on a playground or any of the things that I associate and and remember vividly from living in Australia and and my childhood and etc um so I think that that's how I sort of started with it and that it it it, ca- it held Australia close for me when I couldn't be there which you know I wanted to be frankly and then the pandemic shifted all of that for me because for the first time I wasn't able to visit Australia. I didn't get back to Australia for four years, four years to see my folks, four years to see my siblings, four years to be in the place of my birth, which was a lot for me. For other people, they wouldn't care less. But for me, that was a, that was a lot. And it changed my relationship to, to America as well. It, 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 it altered it. I couldn't, I became anchored. I couldn't shift. So everything changed for me, really. I feel differently about it. You know, the the homesick Australian who still loves Australia perhaps isn't as yearning anymore. That's That has sorted. So that took a long time, Cheryl. I mean, I've lived here for Mm -hmm. close to 20 years and that, that maintained that feeling of longing has been inside me for 16 years. It's only the last four years that have changed mm. that. So maybe that's really interesting that you you mentioned that because maybe that is going to factor into my writing. Maybe it won't be so centred on Australia. Mm. That'll be I'll, I'll be I'll be curious to find out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how you direct your homesickness, because as much as you are accepting of a place, you know, um, I, I mean, I saw that in my parents. You know, they loved Australia, they loved being in Sydney, but they had a yearning for Lebanon like no other. I mean, you know, that's that's what happens with yeah, you, you know, with migrants. Um, and it's interesting. I'll see. I, I'm gonna. I, I want to follow your career in that. I want to see how you, cha- <laughs> how you channel that, you know, um, in the future. Do you think having children, like, you know, almost grown-up children changes your perspective as well? Because they're American. They are American. They're absolutely American. Um, you know, at first when I had them, of course, I wanted to give them everything that I had had. I'd grown up on a farm, so I was very sad that they were these incredible children and 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 the whole school system is so completely different and you know I I found all of that really tricky but then of course they opened up this country to me because I had to meet new mothers and go to school and volunteer and all the rest of it because of them and now they bring home the culture to me and their sensibilities to me that are so different from what I had and now I'm fascinated in what they have to say and how they understand how things work Mm -hmm. so they've had a very good leavening quality on my homesickness they've really they've they've changed all of that for me which is a yeah which is great Mm. 
Cassandra, we're out of time, but thank you so much. I have enjoyed our conversation so much. I've thought about you a lot since we since our last meeting, um, and I'm really glad we've captured it um, in this conversation. Uh, and we're going to have to keep doing one every couple of years, <laughs> where you're at, right? That would be great. That would be hilarious. I, you know, I want to go into the future, Cheryl, and see whether I've written this next book too. <laughs> I want to know whether you're a writer or a potter in three years' time. That would be great. Thank you or so both. much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.